Hello and welcome family. This morning we're going to be launching a four-part sermon series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and particularly how they are given by the Spirit both to glorify God and to edify the church. I'm trusting that it's going to be both an encouraging and unifying journey as we together trust and learn what it means for each of us to be an essential part of the body of Christ. But before we get there, let's turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds to worship our Creator. You're welcome to stand with us as we sing. It's good to see everyone. So come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are. As you are before your God, come. And one day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. One day, one day every tongue will confess you are God. One day. Come home. 
You bring light, Lord. Yes, you give life. Just stay here for a second. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You bring the life. You bring the hope.
Our praise is only to you, Father. To you, Lord. To you alone. We know where our help comes from. It comes from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we love you with all our hearts, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we trust that as we've worshipped you this morning, we have brought honor to your name. And Father, as we prepare now to give, I trust that you would uh, lay on our hearts that which you've purposed for us to give, and that you would return to us that which you've purposed for our generosity. We pray this in Jesus' name. As part of our worship this morning, we want to make some time to transition into our offering. And I trust that you would be able to give generously and with a glad heart, just as God has purposed for you to give. The relevant QR code and banking details will appear on your screen shortly. And I trust that you would be blessed as you give. Have you ever wondered what it means to be a charismatic Christian or even to attend a charismatic church? Uh, what makes it different from attending perhaps other churches or believing or behaving as a believer uh, that would not regard themselves as part of the charismatic tradition. And what does it mean to exercise your spirituality in these contexts? Today we're launching a series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so whether you're a novice, you've barely heard about the gifts of the Spirit, or whether perhaps you're an old hand that has become a little bit rusty, or perhaps you're even just fully in the flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. I trust that as we begin this series, there's going to be some points for you to just freshen up and learn what God has for us in this area of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to look at how the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate in the church, but also both in our personal lives. I think it's important as we start for me just to maybe clarify, when we use the word charismatic, we don't mean as it's used in popular language today uh, around being a certain type of personality or having charisma. The, the word charismatic is actually rooted in a Greek word that has to do with grace and with, and with gifts. And so if you'll afford me a few moments just to do an introduction to our series, which we're going to be looking at over the next four Sundays. There's many spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. And probably as we consider what the authors of the New Testament are doing, uh, they're probably not trying to give us a definitive list of the gifts of the Spirit. They're trying to give us examples of the kinds of gifts, the kinds of manifestations of the Spirit that can happen and that we can expect as we follow Christ diligently in our lives. We find gifts of the Spirit mentioned in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and also in Ephesians chapter 4. There's multiple references through the book of Acts. So the gifts of the Spirit were part of the normal life, part of the normal life of being a Christian in the first century world. For this series, however, we're going to focus particularly on 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13 and 14, and the gifts of the Spirit that Paul brings into focus in those chapters. Now, in these chapters, Paul uses two words for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Greek word, first Greek word is charismata, which the, the word charis has got to do with grace and martyr. So it's about a manifestation of grace or gifts of grace. But also in this chapter, Paul uses another word called pneumatica. Now, let's look at these words a little bit. The word charismata is used throughout the New Testament, in fact, about 17 times through the New Testament. 
Now, in its broad use, it refers to any gracious gift that God gives us. It's referred, for example, to the gift of salvation or redemption. Very important verse where it's used this way is in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So this is a charismata of God, the eternal life that we get. And it's, this broad sense is important. It's because when we are in Christ and we receive Christ, that we can come into the space for perhaps a more narrower usage of the word charismata, where it refers particularly to the gifts of the Spirit or to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. These manifestations are always of the Spirit, but understood to have come by the grace of God, not because we particularly earned them, but it's just the goodness and the kindness of God that pours them out into our spaces. So that's the word charismata. The second word, pneumatica, is quite a unique word. It's used by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, particularly also to refer to the gifts of the Spirit. It's a, it's a neutral word, so it can also refer to, for example, spiritual things. But in the context of chapter 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, it's, clearly that, it's clear that Paul is implying perhaps spiritual persons, but most likely spiritual gifts or things of the Spirit. I'm not sure Paul was trying to do a great distinction by using these two different words. For example, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 31, he says that we should eagerly desire the greater gifts, and the word there is the greater charismata. But when he begins chapter 14, he says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, and there he uses the word pneumatica. And so if you want to draw a distinction, you could probably say that charismata draws the attention to the fact that the gifts are given by grace. They are undeserved and they are a true gift. Whereas pneumatica would say that these gifts are of spiritual origin, so spiritual gifts in this passage. We'll see as we go through the series that the purpose of these gifts is always to edify the church and by doing that to bring glory to God in this place. One of the sources that I referenced described the charismata, the grace gifts, in this way. It said that the, that the gifts were grace coming into visible effect by word or by action. It's the gifts, the grace of God coming into visible effect by words or by action. I found the description quite helpful. It was in the, the New Bible Dictionary. And so in terms of the series, we're going to be looking at these gifts that are recorded for us in chapters 12, 13, and 14. But we need to also understand something about the Corinthian context and what was happening in Corinth. Now, it's very clear textually that 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are a unit. Our modern-day chapter divisions, unfortunately, sometimes cause us to read them a little bit isolated from one another. But both by the language used, the Greek words, for example, same words in chapters 12 are repeated in chapter 14. It shows that they're a unit, but also by the particular topic that Paul is addressing. Now, most likely, the foundation that Paul lays in chapters 12 and 13 are where he gets really practical and tries to solve a particular issue in the church in Corinth in chapter 14. We must note that the immediate context of the grace gifts here is when the church gathers. So, for example, when we come together as a community, uh, this might be in a small group or even a larger group as we would be used to on Sundays. But the immediate context for this chapter is that we always first need to hear, that we always first need to understand is that it's about the church gathered. Now, I do believe that once we understand the principles that are applied with the gifts of the Holy Spirit when the church is gathered, we can then validly extend those principles and the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
into other spaces, for example, into our homes and into our families, into our workspaces and any other public space. But when we start in the text, we start with the church gathered. Now, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we actually find that there are five lists of gifts that you would see recorded. The first one is probably the most well-known one, the famous one, which is in chapters 12, verse, uh, from verse 7 to 11. Apologies for the typo there. There should just be a little bit of a dash. The second list where spiritual manifestations or gifts are listed is in chapter 12 from verse 27 to 31. There's another very clear list at the, towards the end of chapter 14 from verse 26 to 28. And then there's two lists of gifts in chapters 13, the first three verses, and then also from verse 8 to 10, where the gifts are alluded to in the context of where Paul is talking about love. And so what we see throughout these three chapters is that there's a diversity of gifts that are listed. What I think Paul is intentionally doing in these lists is arguing for a variety of gifts. It's quite possible we would deduce from the Corinthian letter that the Corinthians had perhaps become a bit focused or very narrowly focused on certain gifts. What is significant in each of these five lists is only one gift that is repeated. It's almost like Paul was intentional not to repeat as many of the gifts as he could, but there's one gift that he consistently mentions in every list, and that's the gift of speaking in tongues. This leads some of us to conclude that the Corinthians had become singularly focused on the gifts of tongues, and it had become so important in them that this was the mark of their spirituality. If you could speak in tongues a lot, and if you could interpret tongues, you were kind of super spiritual and you'd kind of arrived. And I think what part of what Paul is doing in these chapters is to try and correct this imbalance that had happened in the Corinthian church. And so what we must realize when we approach these passages is the difference between the Corinthian context and our context. The questions that the Corinthians had about the gifts are actually quite different from the questions we have. Let me show this to you. Firstly, what we must understand about the Corinthian church is that the Corinthian church was already a gifted church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says, where Paul's writing in his introduction to them, and he says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. The Corinthians did not lack spiritual gifts. That wasn't their problem. They knew the spiritual gifts. They had access to the spiritual gifts. They were familiar with the spiritual gifts. As I mentioned earlier, the spiritual gifts and manifestation of the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ in the first century church was a normal. It was a given. So this is already a gifted church. So when Paul is writing these chapters, he's not writing primarily to teach them about the gifts. But often when we in modern churches uh, approach these chapters, many churches do not they do lack in spiritual gifts. They're not abounding in the spiritual gifts. And so we come to these chapters wanting to learn about what the spiritual gifts are. And so there are some differences in the needs that we approach this text with. We want to learn about the gifts, but this is not necessarily the Corinthian focus. I think Paul is more focusing on trying to bring an understanding of the variety of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and perhaps to help move them a little bit away from a singular or overemphasis on particularly the gift of tongues, or one of the gifts of tongues. You see, I think if you had to ask a Corinthian believer in the first century world, what does it mean to be spiritual? They would probably have said, if you can speak in tongues a lot, and if you can interpret tongues, you're very spiritual. And so as kind of a subtext in all that we're doing in these series, we're going to be also answering, asking this question, well, what does it mean to be spiritual? Now in Corinth, they thought it was speaking in tongues, and Paul writes these chapters to say to them, 
actually that's not what it really means to be spiritual, to be singularly focused on one gift, whatever it is. For them it was perhaps tongues, it might be in other churches or other times in history, different gifts. So we are addressing also this idea of what does it mean to be a spiritual person and to operate and flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I do want to say perhaps up front that one's giftedness is not necessarily a sign of your spiritual maturity or even your spirituality um, and, and, and even an indication of what a mature spirituality looks like. So in this series, we're going to try and look at what are the gifts of the Spirit, how do they operate, and how should it work when the church gathers. Now, obviously, we've got some similarities with the church in Corinth. We're, the Holy Spirit is still present when we gather and when we meet, and the Holy Spirit still wants to bestow gifts. But one of the places where there is a marked difference is the nature and the type of our gatherings. And we're going to particularly look at that uh, in a couple of weeks' time towards the end of the series when we tackle 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For today, the message is entitled, The Body and the Gifts. The Body and the Gifts. What does it mean to be a church and how does the body interact and work with the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm going to do something that's probably a little unusual for a series like this. Is I'm not going to start at the beginning of chapter 12 where Paul started. I actually want to start in 1 Corinthians 12 and start reading from verse 12. And so if you have a device or a Bible, please open it and read with us. It's always great if you can read the Bible for yourself. The reason I felt to start there is I think Paul lands a very important principle that is valuable for us today. And we're going to, well, actually two principles. Paul lands two principles, sorry, as part of this section that I think are valuable for us that will form a foundation for the rest of the series as we continue. But why don't we read together in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to 14 and we'll read a paragraph and we'll comment as is part of our normal process. So 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 to 14 reads as follows. Paul says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form just one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the same spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. What's Paul getting at in this passage? What is he saying here? Basically what he's saying is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we confess our sins, we repent, we change our minds, that we're going to stop living for ourselves and start living for him. When we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and he baptizes us, he immerses us in the body of Christ. So when I get born again, the Holy Spirit comes and he makes my spirit alive within me. The spirit in us is the hope of glory. It's the presence of God in our lives. He comes and makes my spirit new from the inside. But what also happens is that the Holy Spirit then makes me part of the body of Christ. Now, Paul's analogy here is, is very is simple in a sense. He says, just like you have a natural body that functions, and to have a normal, healthy, functioning body, there needs to be many parts that function as part of this body. And so it is with the body of Christ. There needs to be a diversity of parts. There needs to be different elements and aspects that make up the body of Christ. There's no other special qualification other than to put your faith in Christ to become part of the body of Christ. Your gender doesn't determine if you can be part of the body of Christ. Your ethnic or cultural background, your lifestyle background. Once you've put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. 
and you become part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter of your age. The gifts of the Spirit, by the way, are equally available to children as they are to the middle-aged and to the old-aged. The only qualification for being part of the body of Christ is that you put your faith in Jesus. Now, when you are part of the body of Christ, there needs to be different kinds of people. There needs to be many parts. And the Holy Spirit bestows different kinds of gifts into the body. And so the principle that Paul is trying to reflect here or land here is that diversity, many parts, and unity, one body, are part of God's design. They're part of God's design intention. Many parts, one body is God's plan. The whole body doesn't need to be one thing. The whole body doesn't need to have one type of gift to be a body. In fact, the opposite is true. There needs to be a diversity. There needs to be many gifts and many different kinds of people and callings to make up a healthy body of Christ. Now, in the verses we're going to read next, Paul uses two analogies, both of the body, of the human body, to make two very different but important points, uh, two different body analogies. Now, these analogies are pretty good, but just in terms of caution, I don't think we need to get too far into the details of the body. So, for example, we're going to read that the, you know, the hand says to the foot or the head says to the feet. I don't think we need to go now, what does the head represent and which gift is that? I think the more important part in these analogies is landing the, the overall gift or the, the overall point that Paul is making. So let's turn our attention to the text, and I trust you'll be able to read with on the screens as we do that. Let's look at the first body analogy, 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 15 to 20. Let's read together. Paul writes and he says, Now if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. There are many parts, but one body. So in this analogy, Paul is obviously arguing for the importance of that there are many parts. He's, he's trying to make a case for diversity. But perhaps to help us understand this, let's take note of what's actually happening. And one of the helpful things to do is to take note of which part is speaking, who's speaking in this analogy. And what we see here is it's, for example, the foot or the eye. It's the foot or the ear that is speaking. The body part is speaking. But what's also important is the body part is speaking of itself. The ear says, because I am not, I don't belong. Or the eye says, because I am not, I don't belong. So this phrase, because I am not, I do not belong, is part of the point that Paul is trying to make. What happens here, very sadly, is that the body part disqualifies itself because it's not something else, because perhaps it's not gifted. It doesn't have this gift. So the person says, because I'm not a, for example, a prophet, I do not actually fully belong to the body, or because I don't have the gifts of help or compassion, I don't belong to the body. The part is disqualifying itself. This goes against God's plan, because we read very clearly here in verse 18 that God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted. God places just as he wants. And so if God has made you, for example, an ear, 
that's because the body needs you. You need to be an ear for that body. If he has given you a particular gift or gifting, that's because that's what he wants the body to have. That is your contribution. That's your part of being an essential part of the body of Christ. A healthy body must have many parts, yet it is still one body. And so I'd like to share the first principle with you of being part of the body of Christ. Principle number one in being part of the body is do not disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. Don't say, because I am not, I do not belong. Because I can't speak in public or because I can't lead a meeting or because I don't know my Bible, uh, whatever the reason might be, body principle number one is don't disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. God gave you that gift and he placed you there because it is essential for the health of whatever local body of Christ you find yourself part of at this time. So being part of the body principle number one, do not disqualify yourself or the gift that God has given you. So that's the first body analogy that Paul shares with us in this chapter. Let's read the next body analogy and we find that from verse 21 all the way through to verse 26. And there's a bit of a change in the analogy as we read it, but let's read it together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so this is the second analogy. And part of what Paul is doing here is he's kind of changing the direction of speech around. Again, if you note, it's the body part that is talking. But in the first analogy, the body part was saying of itself, because I am not, I don't belong. This is a bit different. Here, the body part is saying to another body part, not speaking of itself, but speaking to another, saying, I don't need you. This is a, perhaps a position of pride, maybe a position of arrogance, but they're speaking of others in the body because this person doesn't have this gift or doesn't present in that way or doesn't have this ability. We don't need them. You know, do we need these people that are part of the ministry of helps? So they always just want to help and they've got compassion for the poor and, and we're a vision church and we're a prophetic church. We cannot say in the body, I don't need you. Why? Because the principle here is very clear. God has put the body together. God has gifted the people. God has brought the right people into the body. Note very clearly that it's God who puts the body together. And Paul's concern in this analogy is that there be no division. There must be no gifts that regard themselves superior to other gifts. All the gifts are equal. They're all grace gifts. They're all gifts given by God in grace. And so Paul says we should have equal concern. There's a mutuality. There's certain parts of the body, for example, like the internal organs. They never get public glory, but they're protected. For example, like our lungs by our ribcage. They're protected because they are vital. That's why we call them the vital organs. So perhaps your gift or what God has given you never gets public acclaim or stage time or recognition. But God has given you that gift because you're essential to the body. 
And so when one part suffers, we all suffer. And when one part is honored, we're all honored because there's a mutuality. The body parts are equal and there's equal concern. And this brings us to being part of the body principle number two. Principle number one was don't disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. Principle number two is equally important. Don't dismiss others and the gift that God has given them. Don't dismiss others and the gift that God gives them. This is very important. We both, in our of ourselves, need to participate in the body. But we should also not, by definition, exclude others from the body or dismiss others. So disqualification and dismissal are really big no-nos in the body of Christ. These two body analogies is, are the principles that Paul wants to land for us. Let's read one more verse before we bring this to a conclusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. After Paul has given these analogies, he writes this conclusion. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Now, if you want to go into the Greek or whatever language you like, very simply put, each one means each one. Every single believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has made you part of the body of Christ. And God has placed you in the body, each one of you. And it also means that God can gift you and will gift you as he wants to. So God wants you to be available. And God wants to use you because you are part of the body of Christ. And so as we consider these texts and the body analogies, how do we apply them in our lives? Firstly, it's very important to land both in your mind but also in your heart that you belong to the body of Christ. You are part of the body and so are other believers who put their faith in Christ. If you've put your faith in Christ, irrespective of your background, irrespective of your age, irrespective of your gender, irrespective of your economic status, irrespective of your social status, there's this great equalizer that you are part of the body of Christ and God wants you to contribute you know, if you think of your natural body, if there's any part that's being passive or not doing what it's supposed to do, it affects your body. Even if you have a sore little finger, small pinky, and it's sore, it tends to affect the body if it's really sore. It affects the rest of your body. That is how the body of Christ works. Everybody needs to be part of and contributing. Now, obviously, if you're habitually living in sin and you're really not walking towards Christ, you're walking away from Christ, you're still part of the body, but you're making it really difficult for the rest of the body and also maybe then disqualifying yourself from God being able to use you in that space. So it is important to live towards Christ, to live a life in the way that Jesus wants you to live. But it starts with recognizing that you're part of the family of God. And when you're part of a family, there's ways that families do things and they live together and they go together. But the first principle that we shared from the body analogy is Perhaps you've disqualified yourself on occasions. Perhaps you found yourself in certain church meetings or church, church gatherings or contexts where perhaps these exact words went through your mind. Because I am not, I don't belong. Because I'm not a man, I'm not going to speak up now. Because I'm not a woman, I'm not going to speak up now. Because I'm too young, I'm not going to speak up now. If God has gifted you, let's say you're in a gathering and the Holy Spirit bestows a gift on you, and in whatever way is appropriate for that setting, however that setting works, to then release that gift, to allow that gift to flow so that others in the church may benefit uh, from that. So never disqualify 
yourself if you're part of the body of Christ. But equally important, let's not dismiss others. Let's not say because they did that in the past or because they come from there or perhaps they support that sports team. Maybe it's even that for you. Don't dismiss them or disqualify people from that part of the body. And I'm going to be very careful not to use too many specific examples in that part. But God's intention is because you're part of the body that there be no passive members of the body. If one part of my body stops functioning, it's going to cause a loss. It's going to cause a withdrawal from the rest of my body. And so today I want to invite you, as we've looked at these principles, to step in, to take your space, your place, and play, play your part in the body of Christ. God has made you part of the body. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't think, because I am not, I don't belong. Don't dismiss others, because you can learn about God from everybody. And so part of what it means to be a spiritual person or spiritual is to be part of the body of Christ. It's to be engaged in some form of Christian community. Regularly, the New Testament would say, don't forsake the gathering together, the book of Hebrews says. To be spiritual means to be part of the body. There's nothing like a spiritual lone ranger or a spiritual person. And so it's not a solo journey, it's a together journey. It's part of being together in a community of faith because that's where we can grow and learn to express our spirituality in an appropriate way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, for those who've perhaps, for whatever reason, disqualified themselves. They've said that because I'm not, I don't belong. I pray, Lord, right there where they're sitting and listening, that by your spirit, you would give them that assurance that they are a valued member of the body of Christ and that equally you would want to bestow the gifts of your Holy Spirit on them and to work through their lives. And Lord, forgive us where perhaps we've been dismissed certain people and groups of people or types of people or whatever. We've dismissed people from being part of the body and therefore we've lost, Lord, what they could have contributed and that they could have brought to our body. But Lord, thank you that you have made the body and that you have placed me, you have placed each person listening, each one of us, just as you wanted us to be. And therefore, Lord, I pray that you make us a healthy body, a body that is ready to do and to purpose what you've called us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Now, next week, we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 12, and we're actually going to focus quite a bit on verse 7 to 11, and particularly to look at what are the spiritual gifts that Paul lists for us here, a little bit about them and how they can work together in edifying the church. I trust you have a blessed week ahead and see you again next Sunday.